All right, so uh, last time I was up here, we, we were talking about rightly dividing the Bible, and uh, we left off with this particular graphic, and it's the typical graphic that you see when you, when you see anything about the Bible, and they say, well, the Old Testament has to do with the law, and the New Testament has to do with the age of grace, and I think that uh, after seeing that first presentation, you, you, you get more of the, the sense and the feel that, you know, this particular graphic and most of the graphics that you see and that you're going to continue to see um, are, are, are really not accurate or really doesn't do it uh, justice. Because as we pointed out last time, um, we have about, I divided it down to six. But you can actually divide it down <laughs> even further than that. Uh, this this could be a, a year-long session if, if you're really uh, going deep into theology anyway. Um, but uh, we took a look at uh, Genesis to Abraham, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob last time. And so we covered that whole uh, promises of God, uh, the, the, the flood, all of those events that, that took place. But we, we weren't yet into the law, the, the Ten Commandments. We, we, we didn't get that far. And, and yet, you know, we, we covered so, so much of history. Um, and so tonight we're going to cover the law and temple, temple worship. And we're also going to cover uh, Jesus' earthly ministry and, and what he accomplished. And so... We look at these historical time periods, not that God stopped doing something and started doing something new, but, but I pointed out last time that we kind of use this analogy of, of building this building, right? So I kind of use the analogy of uh, what they had to do for the, for in the land itself, um, getting it prepped, uh, digging the ditches putting all the, the pipes and so on and so forth. And, and then they covered it all up, and, and what, you, what you saw was just a whole bunch of dirt with pipes coming out of it. That's all you saw. And so using that kind of analogy for uh, that, those, those early uh, things that God was doing with man and the flood and, and, and then the, the promises and so on and so forth. And then uh, we get to... Uh, the law, which is really laying out the foundation, laying out the foundation. Now, when you look at the law, it's similar to is if, as if you were sitting in a chair right right there, not, not during this time period because the cement was still wet, so you'd kind of sink in and that would not be good. But uh, we're, we're, in the, we're, we're somewhere right here <laughs> sitting right now. And so if you were sitting there, you wouldn't get a sense of what the building was going to look like. You had no sense of what was what was going to happen. All you would see is the foundation, and you still really don't have an idea of what it's all going to look like when it's all said and done, right? And so um, this is where mankind is at in this stage, right? Uh, God knew. God knew exactly what was going to happen. God knew exactly what the finished product was going to be. but But man didn't. And he, and he was giving it to us as we had the capability to digest it, right? So God starts with the site prep and digging and so on. And then 
um, and then he gets to the foundation where we're at. So with that in mind, let's talk about law and temple worship. So going to Exodus uh, 12, 41, God does things on his schedule and his appointed times. He had promised in our last lesson that to take the descendants of, of Abraham from the land which they were enslaved, and, and he did it in the exact time period that he said he was going to do it. And that's really significant. There's all sorts of books and all sorts of references where you can go, and when God said he was going to do it in the exact time frame, and, and, and they measure out the, all the, the exact time, and, and sure enough, he did it exactly on his timetable, time and, and, and then we get to the part finally where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, um, and, and, and I went with the uh, Charleston Heston um, Moses, because when you see Charleston Heston, you go, hey, that's Moses. So, um, so I had to go with his. And so uh, he, he, um, God said, uh, I have seen the affliction of his people. And he says, I, come, I, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians. Um, where is this in Exodus 3.8, right? He had not for, forgotten them. Everything was on schedule. Uh, when God told him, he prepared Moses. Uh, God also uh, was committed to fulfill all the promises that he made to Abraham, even in this time period. The nation whom they shall serve, Genesis 15, 14. Um, he says also he had promised that after he had done that, that the people would come out with great substance, right? And so when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he repeated that promise um, that, the, that the people uh, would be given favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And, and it all came down to the self same day, which we have up here. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the self same day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Um, but is that when the law was provided? No, not yet. We don't see that until Exodus chapter 20, right? And so God knew that the covenant promises were not enough for man, that he, had, uh, they, he, he was going to eventually have to lay out some law so that man can understand basic morality. And, and I'm not going to get into the state of mankind and what they were doing back then, but there, there was, you know, if we think that nowadays is bad, it was, it was, it was pretty bad back then uh, as well. Uh, but, you, but, but just remember that in God's preface to the Ten Commandments, he said, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And that's Exodus 20, uh, verse 2. And, and in saying this, Jehovah reminded Israel that the very purpose of the law was really to set them free, to give them freedom. That was the original purpose. Now, when you read in the, in the New Testament about the law, it's often referred to being in bondage to the law and in chains, and we're going to get to that. But the law primarily was designed to keep us in fellowship with God. Uh, God would continue to bless them as part of the fellowship, um, and the covenants were the same, right? I promised to do this, and you promised to do that. That was a covenant. And so, um, you know, man would not be tempted to follow pagan gods, for instance, uh, customs, worships, and so on. So God tells them right off the bat, Right after that verse, thou shalt not have other gods before me, right? That's just right off, that's, that's, that's the first thing he says. 
And that's a simple statement. He says, don't stray away from me, and I will continue to bless. That's as simple as it gets. And, and, and God makes it really simple for us, and we're the ones that, that tend to complicate it, right? right? When we read this, we read that with that simplicity that, that, that we're the ones that merely complicate things. And we're going to see this further here in a minute. But God gave the Mosaic law to his people for their own good to reveal himself to them. He set them apart from other people, that they were to, to behave in, uh, differently than the, the, the pagans, the people that were, that were worshiping pagan gods and so on, and to reveal the need for a savior. And, and, and this is the reason why people today don't want to be Christians, right? Because the way we behave. Uh, we Christians don't reveal God or Jehovah God to others because of our behavior, right? And so non-believers have way too many examples to, to point out and say, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't need to be a Christian. I behave better than that, right? And that's what they say. And we know that that's not going to get them to heaven, you know? Uh, we know that's not, that, that's not going to have anything to do with salvation. Um, but it stops people from hearing the gospel. And, and, and that's what uh, God intended. So in the age of the law, which we finally arrived through after going through Genesis and 20 chapters into Exodus, uh, the law was set to set the standard for God's people. This is how you're supposed to be, uh, behave. And for that time frame, this is what's going to get you to paradise. And if you don't know the nuances between paradise and heaven, see me afterwards and we'll, uh, I got a chart for you I can show you. And, and it helps to give you that mental map of where everything is laid out. Um, so mark this time period when they finally get the, uh, the law as one of the divisions, uh, one of the key divisions in the Bible, how uh, we should behave and treat one another and by doing so glorify God and that the original law was really a blessing, right? And that's the Ten Commandments right there. I'm not going to go into them in detail. You should know them anyway, right? Um, but the commandments have a, have a specific structure. The first four deal with one's relationship with God, first and foremost. And then the remaining commandments address one's relationship with, with ourselves, with each other, with humans, right? And the two relationships really are inseparable. Um, the, the two relationships uh, are fundamental to being a follower of God. Now, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, um, if you look at Exodus, and you read through the commandments, there is one word that's absent in this New Testament, um, in this Old Testament law that, that you don't see. And the one word that you don't see on there is love. And, and, and the, the big, big difference, you know, you see in Jesus' earthly ministry, he's constantly hammering that aspect, right? That you, we don't see it here, right? And, and I know when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, Moses tell, tells the children of Israel, know that the Lord thy God is one God. And then in the next verse, he says, I, and thou shalt love him with all thy heart. But, but you stop again and you ask yourself, can anyone force someone else to love them? You really can't, right? You can't force somebody else to, to love you. And so, uh, and God knew that. And, and God can't force us to love him, right? So, so I think the reason for the word love 
uh, not being in the Ten Commandments, it's, it's kind of like the imp an employer saying, you know, the beatings will stop when the morale improves, you know, uh, which some of them <laughs> say that. But, but from the beginning, why did God create man, right? We, we know that he, he created, God created us to have someone that would extend his love back to him with free will, with free will, right? And God had angels. He could populate the entire universe um, if he wanted to, um, and, and he didn't do that uh, because he wanted somebody to have that capability of re returning that extended love, the love that he extended to us before we even knew him, right? And, and that, was, that was always the intent, and, and then to, to have that fellowship with us, right? But with all things that man com complicates, you know, we got the law, and then, and then man complicated. The Pharisees came along and eventually developed a system of 613 laws, 613, that eventually uh, all the Jews had to abide by if, if they wanted to enter paradise, right? And so 365 negative commands and 248 positive laws, and so this system of laws had this, uh, the following flaws, right? The new laws continually needed to be invented for new situations. They were so they were constantly adding it. Accountability to God is replaced with accountability to man. We see this in organized religion all the time. Reduces a person's ability to personally discern. It creates a judgmental spirit. We saw with this with the Pharisees constantly wanting to pin down Jesus and anything he said or did, right? Constantly judging. Uh, the Pharisees confuse personal preference with divine law. Um, it produces inconsistencies, creates a false standard of righteousness. I'm better than you are because I haven't broken any of those today, you know. Um, and it became a burden to the Jews, right? They, some of them just, okay, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't keep up with this. Um, and it was all external for everyone to see, um, and, and, it was, uh, and it was rejected by Christ. We know that he talks about this, and he talks about um, how far away uh, the Pharisees uh, eventually went from what God had intended, right? So, um, and this keeps people away from church as well. Uh, folks that uh, have never set foot in a church for whatever uh, maybe have a have some sort of belief structure, or they want to believe, but this also keeps them away. They think they're going to be bound by a bunch of arbitrary rules, some rituals, all these things, uh, because they see it in movies or they see it somewhere else, and they want nothing to do with that. And and this gets the Catholic Church in trouble all the time, right? They get a pope in there, and the pope gets in his his magic chair that is gives them the the telephone to God according to the Catholic Church. And he says, well, God told me that you can't eat meat on Friday. You can eat fish, but that's it. And then he puts out that decree, and everybody follows it. And then the new pope comes along and says, oh, um, I sat on the chair, and God said it was okay now. And so did God change? <laughs> no, of course not. No, it's, it's, it's just arbitrary rules uh, that man creates. Um, and, and, and believe me, I had... A lot more examples than that. But um, let's go ahead with that theme, switch now and talk about the Jewish tabernacle.
And so we see lots of symbols of the, of the Savior and the coming of, of the Savior. I'm going to uh, talk about the tabernacle and how it was set up and get some key elements. Um, this, again, can be a, another one of those studies that, you know, could be, take weeks. Um, but the one on the left is obviously just the lay of the land, so to speak, how everything was, was configured. And then the other one, we see a 3D layout. You can kind of get a sense of, of how everything um, was and, and, the, and the dimensions and so on um, and how it was spaced out, right? And if you go to Exodus 40, Exodus 40, uh, verse 1, uh, this is 12, 12 months after they left Egypt, and um, they've been gathered around the Sinai. Uh, they had all the materials that they needed to build this tabernacle, and uh, because they were able to take things out of uh, Egypt with them that belonged to them, as God promised that, that they could. And this is why it allowed them to, to build this, this tabernacle. So Exodus 40, uh, verse 1 through 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the, of the first month, and it's been a year since, uh, since they left Egypt, shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation, and that shall put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. And then he instructs all that he should do, that they have everything functional, uh, and they set up the tabernacle and all the furnishings in it and so on and so forth. And you drop down to verse 33 of that same chapter of 40. And he says, and he reared up the court, that, that, that linen wall you see on the side, round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Um, a lot, lot that I jumped over. You can read through it. Again, this is a study in itself. The whole tabernacle complex that you see there is complete. It's ready for the institution of worship, right? Um, this one here is a mobile ta tabernacle. Um, so to give you a sense, anybody, anybody watch the show MASH? Mobile Army Surgical, this is a mobile tabernacle. I don't know what the acronym would be, but it's, you get the sense of what I'm saying. We, we had you know, mobile um, uh, field hospitals as well, and, and, um, and, it, and it would take us uh, at least two or three days to get the whole thing up in operation and two or three days to tear it down and then move it somewhere else. And so um, they would have to set this all up themselves and sometimes they would be in a location only for seven weeks. And then God would say, it's time to move. They're, they're moving towards the promised land. And, and so all these workers would say, but we just got here. <laughs> now we have to tear this whole thing down, you know, pack it all up and move. Um, and, and that was not an easy task. I mean, at least with, with me, we had, you know, trucks and equipment and forklifts and all that kind of stuff. The holy tabernacle here we see is really in three parts, and the object symbolizes the three main parts of man and its function. Uh, the outer court symbolizes the body. Uh, the holy place represents the soul, and the holy of holies, uh, way in the back here, uh, symbolizes the spirit. Um, so, and, and then within this, there's plenty of symbols uh, for Jesus as well. Um, but the, one of the things I want to bring you to is the six ceremonial actions that took place uh, that were conducted 
as part of the sacrifices. So they had presentation of the sacrifice at the gate itself. Uh, they would present it, uh, laying ha hands on the sacrificial victim. Uh, the worshiper or priest laid his hands on the sacrifice to consecrate the offering to God and then made the offering the offerer's substitute uh, for, for their sin. They would slaughter the animal, they would sprinkle or pour the blood, um, and then uh, the animal sacrifice, the, the, the priest collected the animal's blood and sprinkled a portion on the sides of uh, the altar itself. Um, and then um, they re poured the remaining on the base. And then they would have the burning of the sacrifice, depending on what kind of sacrifice it was, and the priest burned part or all the animal. So all these symbols we see within Christ's communion, right? Um, and then uh, most importantly, each year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest took blood from a sacrifice on the altar in the tabernacle, and he passed through this, this veil, this thick veil, this curtain basically, to go into the Holy of Holies, and, and only the priest was allowed to go in there and he would, the priest would sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat as a symbol of the reconciliation between God and his people. And that's in Leviticus 16 if you want to read about that. Um, in the book of Hebrews, which we're covering in Sunday school, we'll eventually get to chapter 8 and 9. And, and, and it talks about the, the Jesus and his atonement and it, and it um, and explains in detail uh, the parallels to the high priest uh, at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, uh, Jesus, as the high priest, um, brought his own blood sacrifice, and by sprinkling it on the mercy seat, made it possible for all humans to return to the presence of God. So the Ark of the Covenant becomes for Christians a, a, a symbol of a doctrinal understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is why... It's significant, um, yet when we read it, people gloss over this little important word or phrase, um, the fact that that heavy veil in the tabernacle in Jerusalem was torn in two at the exact time that Jesus Christ died at the cross. If you want to go there, go to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verse 50. And we see this, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. This is a thick, thick curtain. It was torn in two, and the earth did quake, and the, and, and the rocks rent. So people read that and shrug, okay, the, the, the veil rented, you know, and, and they keep on reading. And um, yet this is, this is so significant to the exact act at the time that di Jesus died on the cross um, to, to show uh, the important aspect of um, showing that, that the, he as the priest made atonement and we no longer need man to mediate for us. We don't need anyone else to mediate for us, right? Um, Jesus did that. Um, and so, brings us uh, into the Jesus' earthly ministry, and people get twisted up because 
they, they can't reconcile what we just talked about, the law, and, and everything that, that Jesus said. Because they, they think that at that point the law didn't exist anymore. That the Savior came, and by the mere act of his birth, then um, it was the fulfillment. And there it is, and so uh, they shouldn't be following the law anymore. And, and no, that's not where we put that demarcation. It's not where we put that milestone at. Um, uh, and so this is another reason why a lot of non-believers like to challenge you and say, oh, well, I thought Jesus said X, Y, Z, right? And, and often they're going to refer to something pertaining to the law, the law of Israel. Um, and so the law did not end at the end of Old Testament. There was a 400-year gap between Malachi and um, the first New Testament writing, uh, but God is still dealing with the nation of Israel at this point uh, in the New Testament. And that's why we see in Matthew 5.17, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So abolition um, is not Jesus' purpose. It's fulfillment, right? And when the law is fulfilled in Jesus, its, its original use changes, changes dramatically. Um, it, it's a new era, uh, and Jesus' followers were, were relate to the law different than how um, Israel needed to do. And so we see in Jesus' earthly mil, uh, ministry um, was calculated that he kept the law. He referred to it. He, he, anytime he was challenged with the Pharisees, he responded back on the basis of the law. Um, Jesus embodied himself in everything the law demanded. And, and, in, and in John, when we read John, uh, he, he explains in just six chapters and presents how not only Jesus was the fulfillment of, of the law, but he also fulfilled a lot of the festivals. Uh, he talks about the Sabbath feast in John 5, the Passover in John 6, tabernacles in John 7 through 9. Feast of the Dedication, John 10. And then Paul goes along further down and, and declares Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And that's in Romans 10.4. So we see then, following the same analogy, that Jesus starts putting together the framework for what would become the church, which really the church body. Not our brick and mortar church, but the church body. Um, using that, that same example. And um, Mary Elena probably remembers this thing because they would use this to lay out all the, the church plans on and we would use it to for uh, pulpit because we didn't have anything else out there. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> uh, is, is it still around? You guys still use it? <laughs> That's pretty good. So it, it's, it's kind of a crucial thing to, to realize um, that the problem was never with the law itself. It wasn't that God said, oh, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta get rid of the law. You know, it's not working. No, there was never anything wrong with that. The law reflects God's character and is therefore, and you, see, we, you know, in Romans 7, 12, it says the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's the foundation we talked about. Problem has always been with sinful humans, right? With us, and we can't keep it. So rather than standing for us in, in, in vindication, the law stands against us really to condemn us, right? Um, and this was the other thing that still keeps people away from church. How many times have you heard people say, 
I can't go to church. I've done too many bad things in my life, you know, and, and, um, and, and we hear that, right? So now we have the birth of the Messiah, but we're still under the law, um, and this part of the, the Bible is still dealing with the law of Israel and fulfilling it. So in Galatians 4.4, 4, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So we see the New Testament makes it clear, Jesus and the law, make, put them together. We just don't throw away all that history, right? We become part of it. And in Galatians 3.14, that the blessing uh, of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, just through our faith. We don't have to do anything uh, other than believe and then have that faith, right? And so that we, be, we then become part of that entire lineage, the promises, the law. Of course, the law applies to us differently than the Jews, but we're all still part of that. We don't throw it all out. We're all still part of that entire structure that we see God building, right? And the New Testament repeatedly de declares that God's people are no longer under the law, and it's in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and so on. Uh, that part of salvation history, though, uh, is ended in the, with the person of Jesus. We don't need the law to get to heaven anymore, right? So um, God himself uh, came to earth, obeyed his own law, and and, and then inaugurated his kingdom uh, that one day he will uh, establish on earth. Um, and, and as those forgiven by God and indwelt by the Spirit, then believers in Christ are no longer mastered by sin and subject to the, to the laws that were just really damning uh, laws. Um, and so we also don't rely on a priest to intercede or atone for our sins. We don't have to go up to make an appointment in, in a pastor's office and uh, say, forgive me, I've sinned. Can you pray to God and ask him? No, we don't. No, we don't need to do that anymore. Right. Um, and so and as far as Jesus is concerned, we see all the time and we read consistently throughout all the scripture that when he went up to heaven, he sat down. And that's in the significance of that is that. There was no ch chairs in the tabernacle. The priests that were working that tabernacle never sat down. They were constantly working, constantly working, constantly interceding. And, and Jesus sat down when he got next to uh, the Father. His priestly duties were done. It was finished. He, he, he took care of our, our sin debt, right? So uh, we see Paul here says, there is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And again, as having to do with how we walk as Christians, how we conduct ourselves, right? But we know that forever uh, Jesus canceled the record of debt and that stood against us with all those legal demands. 
be set aside, nailing it to the cross. We see that in Colossians 2, uh, 13 and 14. The demands of the Mosaic law, uh, which cried out for condemnation, died with uh, Jesus at Calvary. Now, turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 20, and we see how he completely answered all of this at the time of his death, the time of his burial, in terms of the finished work of the cross. Um, you all know the account of Mary Magdalene going to this uh, sepulcher to anoint the body as was the custom. And when she got there, the tomb was empty and the stone was rolled away. And, and, and she ran and told Peter and John. And they came running and they suddenly realized Mary was right. We have a risen uh, Savior, risen from the dead. And so we see in verse 9 of chapter 20, John 20, verse 9, and, and what do we have? The fact that the gospel of salvation through a risen Savior had not been preached this whole time. Jesus and 12 never preached our gospel as we know it. They did not preach death, burial, and resurrection. It hadn't been revealed yet. Uh, why? Jesus had to fulfill the law first. He had to reach out to the Jewish people one last time, give them an opportunity, fulfill his promises, his covenant promises, and then if they rejected him, they rejected him. Right? And so we see here in verse 9, for as yet they, talking about Peter and John, knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And and. You know, earlier on, um, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet in, in John chapter 13, uh, you know, Peter comes along, and he just wasn't comfortable with the whole thing. And he says, thou shalt never wash my feet. And he tells Jesus that, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're my Lord. You shouldn't be doing this. And, and the Lord responded back, and he said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And that threw Peter back, right? And he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> he says, go ahead and give me a bath, <laughs> you know? I don't want to depart you. I want to be with you. That's, that's, that's love, right? And so what did, what did the Lord respond back? He says, Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, Needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now, we know what he, what he means by that, not all. There was one that wasn't, right? And, and that was Judas, right? Um, but the very fact that you are in this sin-filled earth, um, what is happening every day we walk in it, right? Every day we walk in it. Uh, we're being defiled. We get our feet dirty, right? And that's the whole object lesson of this foot washing. And that's the object lesson that a lot of people that want to follow the law and think the law is going to get them to to heaven, they're, they're, they're missing all this point. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the one aspect about praying for forgiveness of the things that you're, you're doing and, 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 and then there's, there's really just, uh, wanting to get right with God, and there's two different things. Um, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that we start doing that ceremonial feet washing here in the church. 
custom pickers here. So just 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 FYI. Um, but um, although we we we've been saved and we've been washed by the blood, uh, we still need that daily cleansing. And so what I'm getting at here is is um, the the foot washing uh, is really saturating ourselves with the book. Um, you don't get uh, you you don't get washed. You don't get cleansed uh, by worshiping one time on Sunday. Um, but the cleansing aspect is the feeding aspect of the word that by reading the word seven days a week, right? By studying it, uh, we don't eat just once a day. We don't eat once a week, uh, just like we don't shower once a week. Uh, uh, at least I hope you know we don't. I uh, hope not. Uh, we constantly are cleansing, and so we approach this in the same spiritual manner. And that's the lesson here. Just as soon as we recognize our sin or our failure, uh, God wants what to do. He wants us, wants us to confess it. Uh, and, and that's not to beg for forgiveness. We're already saved, right? We've already done that. You don't have to ask forgiveness. Um, you, 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 you're not bound for hell like uh, a lot of religions tell you that as soon as you sin, oh, no, you're, you're back, back to going to hell. Um, that, that through though we've been forgiven, we need that confession. The Lord wants us to realize that we've sinned. Um, uh, we have the law as a guideline to tell us what that sin is, right? So now the law takes on a completely different aspect than we saw in the, the, the Jewish uh, religion, uh, that, that the law was, was for condemnation or for salvation, uh, for us, it's, the, it's that guideline. It tells us that's sin, what you're doing or what you're thinking or what you're, whatever you're involved with, right? Um, and, and then we ask uh, the Lord to, to, uh, for, 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 to cleanse us and to help us to avoid doing that sin. And my analogy that I always like to use is, is going into an operating room um, and, and scrubbing up and getting clean first before being able to work, before being able to be used. Um, the Lord wants us to to make sure that we don't have any any sin um, in our in our daily lives. So then we can be used. So then we can go out and spread the gospel. Because if we don't do that, um, then we're we're not in fellowship with Him, and and the Holy Spirit Spirit can't work. And so you can present the gospel and expect the Holy Spirit to come in and 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 act in this person's life and open their eyes and so on, but, but God's not going to be able to use you, right? And so we see this in uh, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the analogy of the cleansing there. And this verse was, was written to believers, to to people that were saved, right? And so uh, it's plain and simple. So as we start rightly dividing the Bible, you now start seeing all those different parts. Um, we start seeing the issue with the Jewish law, uh, Jews that were brought up centuries under uh, these customs and under these laws, and, and then uh, trying to, to warn them of mixing law and Jesus and grace and you can't mix it all together. Um, and having covered the first two, hopefully uh, you're seeing why, right? So 
the, the problem with uh, early Jewish converts that you consistently see as you're reading through uh, the, the Bible, if you're, if you're doing it um, as part of the program that we have here or, or you've done it before or you're, or you're doing it on your own, and you see this consistent message uh, in the epistles about mixing law and grace and all that kind of stuff, it's because uh, that's what the, the Jewish converts to Christianity want it to do, and they want it to insist that we Gentiles uh, do the same thing, that we have to abide by the law uh, in, all, in order to uh, get to heaven. It, it wasn't just grace. And, um, and so I can't even count how many verses in the New Testament is, uh, is on this very topic. That's why I took some time to cover it. But also, uh, if we look at just about every Protestant religion that's out there, and I was going to do a, a list, but I decided not to, of all the religions out there that says you got to follow the law, or yes, believe in Jesus, but then you got to follow the law. <laughs> it's like uh, the um, the advertisement you, you see on on, on TV. But, but that's not all. You got to also follow the law, and that's not how it works at all. And so uh, next uh, Wednesday, what we'll do is we'll go into uh, the age of grace, and then we'll go into end times. And, and somehow I'm going to try to cover it in the same amount of time, um, which is going to be very difficult. I have like 38 pages worth of material that i got to get down to maybe 18. And so, um, so hopefully this Reader's Digest condensed version of this topic is helping um, and, 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 uh, and but most importantly, gives you something to think about that you can take notes and then you can go on your own and, and dig deeper and go further, all right? So uh, stay tuned next time. What is the, uh, is there any, any questions, comments about what we covered? All right, anybody learned something new from last time? No? Okay, good, all right, okay. So we're going to go into our uh, missions focus, and um, we have our missionaries to uh, Chile. Uh, they just got there. I like this mission letter because a lot of times missionaries um, feel like they they need to tell us, oh, you know, we saved this many and we've done this and we got, you know. And um, and he's just he's just kind of sharing from his heart uh, what it's like to get to a new place and get settled in. He's got to get his family settled in. He's got to get a lay of the land, so to speak. Um, and um, and so he he goes in um, and and he's talking about uh, the new friendships and relationships and so on and so forth. Uh, the Liberty Baptist Church, uh, he's talking about the one down there in Chile, not the other one over here, but that threw me out for a little bit when I was reading it. Um, but they're buying new property, so they have some growth opportunity there. Uh, so we need to be uh, praying that, that that goes through and that they're able to, to meet that uh, rent that they're going to be committing to. And, um, and it looks like they're, they're finalizing the paper. Um, and then... Um, they have a couple of different activities that they're doing, and, and he talks about the, uh, the Christmas programs that they did, um, visitors that they had already, uh, family visitors, which is important, um, and, then, um, and then bringing in the, the new year. So uh, it's very refreshing. It sounds like 
uh, they're settling in uh, really well um, and we need to uh, keep them in our prayers.